So let's have somebody read from verse 30 to 34. I walked by the field of the lazy places. Many out of one day, no common sense. Mm. I saw that it was very green, the nebulous. It was covered with weeds, and its walls were broken down. Then, as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sweet, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will run for you like a bandit, and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Amen. How true. Uh, the words of this Proverbs uh, provide us with an object lesson. If you look at it carefully, you see that it's an object lesson. Whoever the writer was, because remember now, these Proverbs are some of the Proverbs that Solomon collected from others uh, to communicate along with some of his own. So whoever the writer was, he provides an observation of what a feel of a lazy person looks like. Now you can drive all around Nassau and look at some fields, and uh, and you could probably assume that, boy, that's a lazy person on that, and a lazy person on that. Okay, but uh, he, noticed a couple, he noticed a couple of things. It was all overgrown with thorns. In other words, it was unkept. It was, it was not maintained. The whole place was covered with weeds everywhere. And then he noticed that the walls were broken down and everything lay in ruins. Okay, it meant that nobody cared about it. Okay, so whenever someone asks for a little extra sleep, just a few more winks, he mentions that too, a little more yawns. What is absolutely certain, according to the verse? According to the passage, what is absolutely certain? Poverty. Poverty. Even good rest is not even certain. What is absolutely certain is poverty. He says, poverty will jump on you like a bandit. Like them fellas lurking along the, along the streets, the dark alleys, willing, ready to attack you and take what belongs to you. And scarceness or a lack will, 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 will attack you like an armed bandit. And so the, the, the lesson then is whenever we surrender to laziness, in spiritual matters, because everything that we get in scripture has some spiritual application. Whenever we surrender to laziness in spiritual matters, that is our life, the vineyard, the vineyard represents our life, becomes infected with works of the flesh. And thorns and thistles in this passage represent the works of the flesh. The results is no fruit for God. No fruit. You can't grow anything fruitful in that kind of environment. That's the point that he's making. Okay, you need an environment that is controlled and cared for and maintained to be able to grow anything that is productive and fruitful. Because our spiritual defense, that is the wall, is broken down, the devil gets traction. He gets in there and he puts his sinks his feet down deep. He put an anchor down. He gets traction because our spiritual defenses, the wall which represent our spiritual defenses, 
is broke down and laid ruins. Okay? Somebody is drive, probably driving drunk and running to the wall and knock it down and, and nobody fix it. Okay, whatever. Uh, coldness and backsliding is the result of poverty of the soul. So anytime you run into a person who's cold in their, in their mannerism, in their attitude, in their behavior, uh, watch it because the person, uh, is in poverty, experiencing poverty of the soul. And all of that is produced in our vineyard, which represents our life. And so we need to be careful and cautious on how we operate, how we live our lives, so that this parable, this, this proverb, would not be true of us. And it could very well be. In fact, it's true of many believers today who are going through an experience of backsliding. Okay, because that's what it means. Coldness and backsliding is the end result of poverty of the soul. And it's produced in our vineyard, our life, when it is unkept and uncared for, especially with regards to spiritual matters. Okay, Paul now, uh, um, Solomon now goes into uh, some other proverbs that Hezekiah's men collected. Remember now, Solomon spoke how many proverbs? 3,000 proverbs? And so people were all over the place picking up here and picking up there and picking up there. And so there were a lot of people who, who took some of these proverbs. And some of the people who took these proverbs was the men of Hezekiah. King Hezekiah's men collected these proverbs. And they used them. Hezekiah used them. And so we see from chapter 25 all the way to chapter 29 uh, is a collection of Solomon's Proverbs that were collected by Hezekiah's men. And we'll see how it impacted Hezekiah and his reign as king. Someone read verse 1. These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah king of Judah copied. Okay, and they, they, uh, Hezekiah's men who collected these were actually advisors to the king. You know, any king or person in big authority and power has advisors around them to advise them and give them advice on what to do. Uh, the prime minister has advice. Uh, President Obama has, has advisors. Okay, and so Hezekiah's men, they were smart fellows. Okay, they took the Proverbs of Solomon and used it to advise the king. And we see how that turned out. And so chapter 25 to 29 were all written by Solomon, but they were copied by King Hezekiah's men. He was the king of Judah uh, for many, many years. And uh, the story of Hezekiah is told in, in, in a couple of passages or uh, chapters in the Bible. If you want to read it in your spare time, you can do so. Second Kings 18 to 20, Second Chronicles 29 to 32. Oh, you write them down, eh? Okay. Second Kings, chapter 18, to chapter 20. Okay, that's one area you can see the, the, the life story of Hezekiah. The other um, is Second Chronicles, chapter 29 to chapter 32. And then also Isaiah, chapter 36 to 39. So all three of those books of the Bible will give us the story of Hezekiah and how the 
Proverbs of Solomon impacted his life and made him the great king that he was. Notice, compared to his father, Ahaz, who closed and boarded up the temple, he was among the minority of kings who actually honored God. That, that is Hezekiah. You know, there were a lot of kings who, uh, when you read their story, you would, ha- you would see that line, the Lord was not pleased with. You see that a lot. Well, he was one of the, the kings whom the Lord was pleased with. And he was a few uh, among a minority. By destroying the places of idol worship and restoring the temple, he earned the respect of neighboring nations who lavished many gifts on him, many gifts on many gifts on God because of him. Okay, um, and primarily because of the wisdom with which he operated his kingdom. And of course, we saw the same thing happen when Solomon started to demonstrate his wisdom that God had given him. People came from all over the world bringing all kinds of gifts because they wanted to hear from them. The same thing happened uh, with Hezekiah. People recognized the wisdom that he had and they, they, they honored God, they praised God uh, for what he had done. And God does the same thing today. And that's why it's so important for us to take note and take heed to the word of God. In his efforts to follow God's laws and commands, he wholeheartedly to follow God's commands and laws wholeheartedly, he had his men copy Solomon's Proverbs and read in the temple services so that all the people could know what it means to live wisely. And this is what made him so successful in his reign as king. In Second Chronicles chapter 31 and verse 20, 21, uh, we read that in all that he did in the service of the temple of God and in his efforts to follow God's laws and commands, Hezekiah sought his God wholeheartedly. As a result, he was very successful. What made him successful according to this verse? How did he follow him? Hmm? By honoring him. But notice says wholeheartedly. What does that mean? With a single eye. With the entirety of his being. He didn't compromise in any way. Whatever God said, he did it. Okay, he didn't have a divided allegiance. He didn't follow God half-heartedly like some people do today. Okay, God, I'm going to do this, but I can do that. Lord, I'll follow you this way, but I show I can handle that. Okay, he followed God wholeheartedly. And that is what contributed to his success. Now, there's a simple lesson right there for us. However we follow the Lord will determine the degree of success that we have in our lives, personal lives, family lives, business lives, whatever. Okay, that's lesson one, number one that we can take with us today. If you don't get anything else, take that one. He got an extension to his life because he trusted God. Hmm? That's right. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. And he did that because the man trusted him. The man trusted him wholeheartedly. Whenever we find that God doesn't answer our prayer, we need to check how much of our heart 
is focused on honoring God and serving Him. Because that's where the problem lies. God is not going to honor you if you're not honoring Him wholeheartedly with your life. And that's one of the lessons we learn from Hezekiah. So make sure on your spirit and read those passages. Go read those, those chapters of his life. And you will see the kind of man he was. And uh, particularly uh, because of how he responded to the Proverbs of God. The Proverbs that God communicated to Solomon. Okay, verse 2 of chapter 25. Someone read verse 2. Okay, it's God's privilege to hide a matter. It's God's privilege to hide things from us. That's his privilege. All the secrets hidden in his natural creation, in his written word, and in his providential dealings provide sufficient evidence of all of the truths of this proverb. If his counsels and works never exceed human intelligence, then he wouldn't be God. In other words, if God doesn't confound us, confuse us, then he wouldn't be God. Would you follow a person and listen to a person who know everything? There's got to be something wrong there, right? The king's privilege to search out a matter means that the wise, that a wise king will ensure that he's informed of whatever affects his kingdom and carry out full investigation so that he can make true judgments and devise wise policies. It's a king's privilege to search out a matter. Okay? okay you know what I was thought coming to me right there? No wonder why he says thus, my people are perishing for lack of knowledge. Because once we get into worry, and we study the word, it's like the king's primitives that we, once we get the word, we understand. And this is where our joy comes in. That's right. Until we learn to get into the word, take time, not just, you know, God is good. That's why the Bible says meditate. That's right. Meditate means to sit down and think about what God and is saying. And here, another thing that came to me is someone who Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So that means hearing and hearing and hearing, not just hear once. Oh, I heard it before. No, you hear it and hear it and then and we see that all the time. The more we hear something, right. the more it, 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 it comes to us, the realization, the comprehension comes to us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's important. So here then is the, the application that we can take from verse 2. When looking in the Bible for spiritual treasures, we should be sorrow. When looking in the Bible like you're searching for treasures, you're digging for treasures, be sorrow in your search. Now if you're looking for something and you really want to find it, you're going to look thoroughly, right? You're going to spend some time and you're going to dig and you're going to search because you really want to find it. And that's what verse 2 tells us. Looking in the Bible, when we look to the Bible for spiritual treasures, we need to be sorrow in our search. Because that's the only way we're going to find it. If we are sorrow, God is going to know that you're serious about what you're looking for. And he's going to make sure that you find it. That's the point that verse 2 is making. Okay, verse 3. 
that I and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. Okay, as limitless as the heights of the heavens are, and as unsearchable as the depths of the earth, there's also something else impenetrable about the heart of a good king or good kings. What they are thinking is never accurately known. Remember that passage that says, who can know the mind of God? That's what this verse is talking about. The heart of a good king. Like you can never know. No searching. Can't find it. That's right. It's unsearchable. Okay, verses 4 and 5. Take away the wicked from before the king, and the throne shall be established in righteousness. But not for thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. Okay. You left out verse 4. Yeah, you need to start from verse 4. Take away the gods from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel. Good. Okay. So verse 4 and 5 is what we will we'll be looking at here. And so the silversmith will not have the kind of metal uh, that is suitable for making jewelry until the scum is removed from the silver by melting it in the fire. Okay. Got to go in the fire. You can't get the good stuff unless it goes through the fire. The silversmith don't have nothing to work with. I think I've seen it a couple of times. Scum and grime and all that stuff. That's right. Yeah, and that's what he's talking about. That's right. And all that stuff is a picture of what's in our hearts. God puts us through the, 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 the fire, the furnace to, to cleanse us, to purifies us. The purifiers, and that's what all the troubles and the difficulties we difficulties we go through in life is intended to to accomplish. The intense heat causes all the dross and impurities and the scum or whatever you want to call it to rise to the surface. Okay, it'll never come to the surface unless the heat is intense. That's why it hurts. Yeah, that's why it hurts. <laughs> that's why it hurts. Wicked counselors. In the king's court, signify the dross here. The kingdom will never be established on a righteous basis until wickedness is removed from the kingdom. Okay, whenever you look at a government that is not moving, is not progressive, any government, okay, it'll always be that way until the wicked persons in that administration is removed. You know, so we look at some of these nations around the world and say, boy, all they've been having is all kind of problems and trouble. What's wrong with them? The problem is they got some wicked stuff in there. They got some scum and some dross in there that, that need to come out. And those in authority are not putting the kind of heat in there to be able to bring them to the surface and get rid of them. Unless they come to the surface, you're not going to get rid of them. Right, Brother David? You got to put the heat in there. So that all that stuff can come to the surface. 
And when it comes to the surface, then you can remove it. You'll be able to see it to remove it. When Christ returns to reign, the first thing he will do is cleanse his kingdom of everything offensive like lawlessness and rebellion. That's the first thing Jesus is going to do when he returns. Okay? Deal with that stuff. Get rid of all of that. Okay? Something we need to think about. Verse, uh, verses 6 and 7. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. For better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince, whom thine eyes have seen. Okay. This is a wise practice. It's a wise practice to be invited to a place of honor than to push or force your way in there and then face the embarrassment of public humiliation. Okay? A lot of people do that. And then when they get the public humiliation and embarrassment, they wonder, well, what's wrong with them? Why don't they like me? What's wrong with me? Okay, the problem is you push yourself in. He wasn't invited. Okay, and that, this is a good practice for us to have. Uh, to be publicly invited into any occasion is a practice that we should take. Or you'll be humiliated in the presence of those of influence. Notice it says the person in the presence of the king, speaking of a person of influence uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a land or an authority or an administration. Uh, verses, uh, verse four, verse five. Eight. Oh. Eight. 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 Do not hastily bring into court for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame. Oh, okay. There were a couple other voices I wanted to mention with regards to this one. Um, uh, with regards to public disgrace, because Jesus mentioned some things about that, that uh, we need to take note of. And we also see something in Jeremiah about that. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 45 and verse 5 says, uh, are you seeking great things for yourself? Don't do it. It will bring you great, bring great disaster upon all those, all these people. But I will give you your life as a reward wherever you go. I, the Lord, have spoken. And Jesus also uh, mentions something about, uh, made an allusion to what is mentioned uh, in verse 4. He says in Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 8 to 10, he says, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. Remember that passage? What if someone who is more distinguished than you are has been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed. And you will have to take the lower seat that is left at the front of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. Okay, so Jesus speaks about uh, being pushy when it comes to wanting to get in the place of honor. And Jeremiah mentions it as well. As well. So the application then for us is 
we should never seek our own honors. Okay, never toot your own horn. Like, like, like folks, old folks say. It's always better to accomplish the work God has given you or given us to do quietly and faithfully. Okay? Don't get up there and try to toot and herald and, oh yeah, look what I'm doing. As the quality of our life is noticed by others' attention, it will draw others to us. In other words, people will notice us by the quality of the work that we do, not by us praising ourselves and blowing our own horns. Okay, that's the point that he's making here. Okay, now we get to verses 8 to 10. Do not be in a hurry to go forth, but you will do it here if your neighbor disgraces you. Present your argument to your neighbor, but do not reveal another person's secret. Otherwise, when he hears about it, he will humiliate you. He will report about you, will never disappear. Amen. You know how many people do that? You get people doing that every single day. You know, everybody won't go to court. You know, you, you look at someone the wrong way, I can take you to court. I can sue you. Everybody wants to go to court. Right? And I, but David always reminds us, you don't always get justice in court. You realize that, right? Not everybody who is in prison are guilty of what they were accused of. Okay. They take you to court for something you never even said. They took take you to court. Brian Marie told me that. Anybody can sue anything you want. Yeah. You have to prove it. That's right. That's right. So invest the reason with your adversary before you even get there. Mm -hmm. Plead with them if you need to. Get down on your hands and knees and plead with them. Rather than allowing that to go to court. Okay. Because as we've, as we've seen many times in the Proverbs, um, you don't, the, the justice system is corrupt. Proverbs tells us that. Okay, you're not always going to get justice where you expect to get justice. Because the system is not faithful to us in terms of seeking justice. <coughs> An arguable spirit exhibited by the desire to rush to court to settle every little grievance is condemned by the Bible. That's what this proverb is doing. It's condemning the desire to go to court to settle every little grievance. That is condemned. The Bible says don't do it. Okay? It doesn't make sense. Even when a person testifies of everything they have witnessed, the testimony of their neighbor can still put them to shame. That's what this verse is saying. Okay? They can tell everything they know, but then the other person comes and tells their side of the story, and guess what? Everything that everybody said, what we were listening about you and praising you for and giving you credit for, just read down the tubes. You've been put to shame. And so handling grievances privately is always better. And that's, that's the advice of Jesus Christ himself. That was in Matthew 18, 15. Notice what he says, and this Jesus he says, if another person, if another believer sins against you, go to court. Is that what it says? Does it say that? But that's what we do, right? It says, go privately and point out the offense. Jesus says that. If the other person listens and confesses it, 
you have won that person back. And that can be done in so many ways. No court, no lawyer. Follow Jesus' advice. Verse 10 points out how others can rebuke you for confronting the offender directly, which can cause you to get a reputation of being a gossip or even worse. Okay, so other people will condemn you by the testimony that you give if it's not accurate. And we know what how important a reputation is, right? Verse 11. Okay. Well-timed advice. How many times have we had gotten advice from somebody and said, Boy, that's just what I needed at right now. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Timely advice. Good, timely advice is as morally attractive and appropriate as a blend of precious and beautiful metals. Beautiful, wonderful. Verse 12. As the merit of Okay. Everybody heard that? Nobody heard that, right? <laughs> a wise criticism. Let me read it again. To one who listens, valid criticism is like a gold earring or other jewelry. I'm talking here about listening to criticism. You know, sometimes we don't like to be criticized. You know, but um, sometimes it's 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 uh it's valuable, and that's what this this proverb is telling us. A wise criticizer, a person who's wise in their criticisms, adds moral beauty to anyone who is willing to learn in the same way that fine gold jewelry improves the physical. Okay, so don't just block out person who's been who's criticizing especially if it's a wise person because that criticism is intended to do you good and not harm all right so be careful about how we respond to the criticisms that we get and who it comes from more importantly who it comes from whether it's a wise person or a foolish person Reverend Randy, uh, I read the other day this is executive very large company. Mm -hmm. Main of era for dealings. Who was the board of directors? Now in the monthly meeting they realized that the president wrong. Mm -hmm. During this meeting, they never mentioned nothing about what he did wrong. They mentioned everything that he did good since he was the CEO of the company. Mm -hmm. They said that to criticize someone is to show how well they've done, what good they've done. And therefore, when the meeting is over, they realize what they, the criticism is all about. They said this is the way how the corporate side mm -hmm. operates. You know, to come out of black and then do this and do Right. Nothing like that could mention. So, uh, uh, this company can be up 10% of the world like this of business. It's amazing. And that's 
of why he's criticizing. Yes. That's how it works. That's how it works. And that's what this that's what this proverb is alluding to. Okay? How it is done. So you see, just that incident itself tells you how much the Bible is relied on by people even in the corporate and executive secular world because they realize the value of the wisdom of God's word. Now they will not give the Bible the credit for that the wisdom they're using to accomplish what they did. But that's where they got it from. Some of them are not even believers who use it. But they realize the value of it. I've heard it said, I've heard uh, a lot of autistic people, they always, same thing he said, but they, they always praise the person up. They say, listen, now you're doing a great job and you're wonderful and I appreciate what you're doing, but here's something you did wrong. They praise them first, tell them what they did wrong and they don't take it about it. Right. It kills the spirit when you right. come out with the condemnation first. Because they're not even going to hear the commendation when it comes. All their mind is going to be focused on, boy, what I did and what did I do and what this and that and the next. We don't have no condemnation. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. None whatsoever. Okay, we're going to stop there because our time is gone. And uh, when we come back, Lord willing, uh, we'll pick up. Uh, from verse 13. So you can mark that in your Bible and pick up at verse 13.